All right, let's get into it. Just pray with me. Father God, I thank you for tonight, God. I thank you for this word, Lord, that uh, let it speak to us, God. Let it speak to us. Speak to your people, Father. Reveal to us the things you would have us to know, God. Let it go down deep into our heart, Father God, that you would change us, God. We would bring forth fruit for your kingdom, Father, that we would, we would not leave here the same, God, but we would leave here changed. We just thank you and praise you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So we're uh, continuing in the book of Romans, chapter 1. I listened to Pastor Jeremy last week. He did a good job. If you need those portions of scripture, you can go back and listen to that online. Starting in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be... Known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So Paul here is talking about the wrath of God. And Paul, Paul is saying, how can you understand the righteousness of God? Because he's going to get into the righteousness of God in the book of Romans. But he's saying, you can't really understand the righteousness of God if you don't understand the wrath of God. You can't understand God's grace if you don't understand what you've been delivered from. And he says, all mankind is liable to God's wrath. So he said, for the wrath of a God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold back the truth in unrighteousness. And Paul begins this argument and his first position is that all mankind without exception is guilty of sin before God. All mankind. That means me, means you, means your neighbor. All of us. We were guilty before God and we are unable of ourselves to put in a plea of righteousness. We are unable. You might say that's unfair. Well, so did the Israelites before you. In Ezekiel chapter 33, I'm going to read verses 12 through 20. It says, therefore, you son of man, say to the children of your people, the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness, nor shall the righteous be able to deliver because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. And when I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered. 
that because of the iniquity that he has committed, he will die. Again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, walks in the statues of light without committed iniquity, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of his sins which he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. Yet the children of your people say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Where have we heard that? But it is their way which is not fair. The Lord says, no, it's your way that's not fair. My way is fair. Your way is not fair. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. But when the wicked turn from his wickedness and does what is lawful and right, he shall live because of it. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, I will judge every one of you according to his own ways. The wrath of God here is an expression with which we are familiar in the Bible. You've probably perhaps heard this before. It it denotes the holiness of God and his antagonism to sin to which punishment is due. Okay. It expresses an idea as essential to our conception of his righteousness as do the words love and mercy. There is essential to that. Now the word wrath means vengeance. But to Paul, when he's writing here, it's indispensable to use words which people understand, okay? But when they are applied to God, they don't mean what we think they mean when we apply them to men. So in Mark 3, 5, um, and I don't know if I have, do I have that or not? I may not have it. It's okay if you don't have it. In Mark 3, 5, the Savior looked on his disciples with anger, it says. That word is Greek, wrath. It's the same word. Now, we know that he's not had that. He doesn't have these feelings, right, of a man seeking vengeance. That's not what it means. Wrath is in opposition to God's favor. Okay? It's not that, uh, that, that it, it, it excludes the offender from the favors which God will bestow on the righteous. It is not an amiable And it's not an arbitrary principle of conduct. The wrath or indignation of God is used in the following scriptures, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And he and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So he's telling the Ephesian church, he said, you at one time were under the wrath of God. First Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. First Thessalonians 2, 15 through 16, who, speaking of the Jews here, killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and having persecuted us, they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So he says, wrath has come upon the Jews to the uttermost because they're stopping the gospel. 
from going forward. This word wrath occurs 35 times in the New Testament. And Paul uses this term as the most powerful means of bringing home a conviction of God's wrath to the conscience of believers. The book written to the believers. That's us. He's writing to those in Christ for the gospel's first office to convince of sin and of judgment. We were by nature an offense to God. If you don't understand that or you don't believe that, you don't understand the gospel. The apostle speaks of the wrath of God against humans, human sin being especially at the time plainly revealed from heaven, meaning right now. As in Acts 17.30 said, the times of ignorance God winked at, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Repent from what? He tells us from all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And this word ungodly mean, ungodliness, it means impiety. It means a lack of reverence toward God. It's a neglect of the worship and the honor that is due him. It refers to the fact that the people had failed to honor God. And they had paid to idols the homage which was due to God. And unrighteousness unrighteous means that their sin was a direct offense against God. So he says ungodliness and unrighteous. Not just the sin that was in them was an offense to God. He said that the, the, the ungodliness that they had, the impiety of irreverence towards God. We have multitudes in every age that refuse to honor him. They neglect his worship, even though they may not even be idolaters. Many suppose that if they do not neglect their duty to love their fellow man, and if they are honest and upright in their dealings, that they are not guilty. And the Apostle Paul here shows that the wrath of God is revealed against their neglect of God. Their neglect of God. And that this offense is so much consequence as to be placed first, first, as deserving the wrath of God. Even above the neglect of our duties toward men. And grace teaches this. Grace first teaches us to cling to God and his righteousness above all duties pertaining to men. Titus chapter 2 tells us, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, that is impiety, a lack of reverence towards God, This is what that word means, a lack of reverence toward God and worldly lust, the sins that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So if grace isn't teaching you these things, you have not received the grace of God. The grace of God teaches us these things. Paul continues that these hold back the truth, therefore restraining the spirit's influence by their iniquity. So because of their sin and because they yielded to corrupt passions, they did not retain the knowledge of a pure and holy God who is opposed to such deeds and will punish them that they continue to practice iniquity. And because the practicing of iniquity, it kept the truth from coming forward. Now, this started with two things. There's a portion of enlightenment on one hand and the natural tendency of the human mind to error on the other. 
We think we know better than God. And Paul says, wherefore God gave them up. As a punishment of this idolatry, God withdrew his restraining grace. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Oh my. Paul continues, they changed the truth of God into a lie. This means they promoted false opinions of him. Oh, only that was pertinent to today. <laughs> they represented his true being by images of men, creatures, flying things, nature. The Greek expression here is really interesting because it signifies that there was an inward veneration or inward reverence and esteeming in their minds. So there was this inward heart esteeming these things and an outward worship. So it wasn't just this outward bowing down. There was an inward veneration of these things. There was an inward veneration of these things. So they reverenced them inwardly and performed various acts outwardly of worship towards these things. So the wrath of God is revealed that God gave them up means he abandoned them. He ceased to restrain them and permitted them to act out their lusts. These verses reveal the following. The tendency of mankind is to these sins. Jews and Gentiles alike. Those that had the law and those that are without the law. The tendency of man was to these things. The tendency of idolatry was to promote humanism. And all that was needful was for God to leave them to follow the devices and desires of their own heart. In the passage, there's three steps or stages are indicated. Idolatry, unnatural sins allowed by God as the punishment for this idolatry, idolatry, and still a more complete and radical depravity. So we see that the first step is taken by the free choice of man. But as the breach gradually widens, the wrath of God is more and more revealed. He interferes less and less to save the sinful from their fate. I believe that this is where we are at as a country as a whole. I I see an America that has forsaken God and turned their backs and ears from hearing God's laws has created their own God, and therefore he has removed his hand from us and allowed our sins to overtake us. The inevitable connection of idolatry with immorality is stated here, and nothing but the knowledge of the Almighty God can teach and enforce human purity. Manifold experience shows that social civilization and mental culture can never banish sin. No laws, no government, no social civilization. Nothing can banish sin. Nothing but the knowledge of God can reveal to man his sin and his value. 
And, and, I, and I say value and I use that specifically because the world is trying to tell man their value. But only God can tell man his true value. So this begs the question, how do we avoid the wrath of God? Because this is clearly written to the church. This is clearly written to believers. We should pay attention to these things. This is not for outside. This is for inside. Going back to Thessalonians again, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, it says, But concerning the times and season, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety... Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should not overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor are we of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep in the night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing. So he says... You want to you want to make this you want to miss God's wrath. He says, "Wake up." Don't go woke. Wake up and be sober. And he says, "We are not appointed to the wrath of God, but that doesn't make us automatically exempt from it because we said a prayer at one time." Paul says, be sober, be watchful, let us not sleep. And the metaphor that he uses here is not so much to actual sin as a carelessness in spiritual and moral things. Let us not say peace and safety and resign ourselves to indifference about Christ's coming. And the apostle uses the word sober here twice as in opposition to being drunk. He says, let's sober to be understood of spiritual vigilance and sobriety. Watchfulness denoting wakefulness from sleep and sobriety of freedom from intoxication. Both must be combined. We must be watchful on our guard. We must be sober, armed, and prepared. Peter warns us of the same. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We will not be caught unaware if we don't get drunk like others. We separate from the world. We obey the word of God. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We crucify the flesh. We walk in the light. We gather with the brethren. We encourage one another. We are awake, sober, and watchful. Therefore, we understand that those not watchful may fall into the above idolatry that Paul tells the Romans. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells them, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. There's two things in the Bible that we are told to flee from. 
idolatry and sexual morality. Don't go near it. Don't entertain it. Don't look that way. Whatever it may be, he says, flee, run, get far away from it. It's going to be a snare to your soul. But what is idolatry? Well, it can be in the veneration of an idol, such as the Hindu religion where they worship the cow and a thousand other gods. It's probably not our case in America. Right? And the language in the Greek is not just this outward veneration. It's an inward veneration. And idolatry is defined as putting anything above or equal to God in this word. And a lot of people leave that off because there's no equal to God. So when you make something equal to God, equal to his word, you're putting it on idol status. Most of us don't see it that way. Ideas and philosophy, philosophy can become an idol. We make up our own Frankenstein Jesus and we idolize a God who has no standards or laws and just wants you to be happy and nice and love. Education can be an idol. Recently, science is being made an idol. You know, I I read an article the other day um, of an apostate pastor, and I say apostate because he is truly an apostate pastor. And he was saying science and the Bible are in agreement. And I said, well, if your science agrees with the Bible, then yeah. Yeah. If your science says life begins at conception, then yes. But if your science says that at conception there's just a bunch of mass of cells, you're elevating your science above the Word of God. And it becomes an idol. People reveal their idols every day. Science says mind over matter. Well, that agrees with the Word of God. God says we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. But will we elevate science above God's word or we make it equal with God's word? You idolize science. Parents idolize their children, placing sports, education, the like, above God's commands. Uh, I asked Tracy if I could share this with her, and it's not about her children, but uh, uh, her family has a cabin, and she said for for months on end, they were going to the cabin all the time on the weekends and, and missing church and missing church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And she she finally she came to this realization as a family. She said, this is going to be a snare to my family. I need to be in the house of God. And she was willing to sell her family cabin to not have it become an idol in their family. Now, and, now, and I do want to say this because it's not a sin to miss a Sunday. But when Hebrews 10, 25 talks about uh, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren, it's public worship. It's not your little home Bible studies. It literally means public worship. It has to do with the synagogue in the Greek. And he says, if you continue to do this sin willfully, it's sin. And so people that habitually miss service, it's sin. And so if something is causing you to habitually miss service, oftentimes it's kids' sports because they play all their sports on Sundays. That is becoming an idol in your life. 
And you have to be careful because it will ensnare your soul. It will take your children. Pastor Matt and I just had this conversation today. We know numerous people that I can tell you their kids have fallen away from the Lord because they prefer their kids' sports to be their kids' friends over anything else. And they said, I don't understand. You didn't train them in the right way. Comfort is a huge idol. The Spirit revealed this to me, is that comfort masquerades as peace. Comfort masquerades as peace. We, we tell ourselves, because I am comfortable, I'm at peace with God. And I will tell you that it's more often uncomfortable to obey the word of God than not. Ministry becomes an idol when we elevate our ministry above the word of God. Celebrity pastors, charismatic preachers, these become idols. Worship can become an idol. Worship bands become an idol. All of these things, our duties and service to men become an idol. This is very prevalent in the American church, and it's humanism. We have a duty to man above our duty to the Lord. Man is placed above God in his word. The first step of idolatry is disobedience. Disobedience is the first step toward idolatry. Paul says they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So because we choose to obey God in his word, the truth is suppressed. That's what happens when we choose to disobey God in his word. This is a free choice at this point. We choose to disobey God. We choose to disobey his word. We look, we look, we read the word of God and we say, well, that doesn't really apply to me. That doesn't really apply in this situation. I know what God's word says, but God doesn't want me to be unhappy. How many times have you heard that? Then they divorce their spouse. Oh man, I I can tell you number of times people have said that. We put our ideas on who we think or want God to be. And disobedience usually starts out small. But if left unchecked, it will become the norm in your life. And I remember years ago, before I met Matt, you know, I was in a church, I had a great pastor, and I began hanging out with people that I should not have been hanging out with. And what's interesting is when you start, you start doing that, the Lord begins to send messengers. <laughs> I had people write me letters, I had people call me up, I had people telling me to my face, what are you doing, you should be hanging out with them. I said, you don't know me. <laughs> And I remember the pastor preaching one Sunday. He said, you should be in church every time the doors are open. And I thought, who does this man think he is? I can do what I want to do. Well, he was my spiritual authority watching out for my soul. The, The pastor gets nothing from telling you, you should be in church. It's for you. I, he doesn't get anything out of that. I don't get, I don't get anything out of telling you guys you should be in church every time the doors are open, that you should be gathering. I don't, I don't get anything out of that. It's your benefit. 
if you think I'm trying to control you, you, you obviously have no idea. Nobody can control you. God, God, I think Pastor Matt said, God can't even control you. I'm surely not going to control you. And all these people, where have you been? Well, when you're in church, probably four days a week, which I was, I was in church all the time and I sang in choir and I worked, you know, I just, I loved being there. And so I began for a couple months, I was missing all these things. And when people start reaching out to say, where are you? What's going on with you? You're acting different. People know when you're acting different. They know when you're acting different. They know when something's going on. It is all over you. And we just get this defense. I'm saying, you don't know me. I'm saved. I'm sanctified. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me what to do. (laughs) But I knew I was disobeying God. I knew I was, and I felt the Holy Spirit. And people continued to warn me and continued to warn me. But I began to believe my own lies. And I told myself God was pleased with me, even though I was doing things contrary to the word of God. Because deception follows disobedience. Praise God, I woke up about two months and said, what was I doing? And if history reveals anything, it's that we are easily, we easily deceive ourselves and we believe our own lies. Paul tells us, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. I'm going to read this in Deuteronomy, just for time's sake. I usually like to read in my Bible, because it's big print. But I'm going to, re- I'm going to read on my phone, just because it, it's a little bit faster kind of on time. Um, Deuteronomy 29 verses 14 through 20. It says, I make this covenant with, and this oath, not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord, our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt and that we came through the nations, which you passed by and you saw their abominations and their idols, which were among them, wood and stone and silver and gold. So that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose hearts turn away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. And that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart. As though the drunkard could be included with the sober. There's that word again. The Lord would not spare him for then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man and every curse that is written in the book would settle on him and the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. I didn't mean to do that. These are serious scriptures. When we fall away from scripture, we begin to disobey God, doing what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. We fall into deceiving ourselves. And because God is good and in, in, his, and in his mercy and in his goodness, he's continuing to reach out to us. He's continuing to draw us near, continuing that we deceive ourselves into believing that he's pleased with us. Even though you know you're disobeying God's word, even though you know what it says, and even though he sent many messengers to tell you you're disobeying God, you're disobeying the word of God, we deceive ourselves. 
I knew someone in Christ one time. Well, they claimed to be in Christ and they had deceived themselves so much. They were having an affair with a married man and that they had convinced themselves that the married man was in sin and they were not. True story. I I got lots of stories like this. This is not uncommon. And this is why Paul is warning us here. And God is not pleased with you if you divorce your spouse and do not have a biblical reason. And if you repent and marry someone else, it doesn't matter what others say or the state says. You're an adulterer and living in adultery if you've not repented. There's forgiveness with God if we repent, but not if we harden our heart and brush our sin under the rug. We deceive ourselves. And the God we made up in our minds is not the God of the Bible. And then delusion follows deception. Professing to be wise, they became fools. So now, disobedient, deceiving yourself, now you're delusional. You call good evil and you call evil good. Delusion is a belief or impression that is firmly maintained despite being contradicted by what is accepted as reality or rational argument. Is this not what we have in America? A spirit of delusion. The only rational answer for what is going on in America that I have is that it is a spirit of delusion that God has given man over to his own ways and he, and, and people are saying, look at that man who's a woman. It's delusional. It's a spirit of delusion. God has given us over to what we wanted as a nation. It's the only rational answer I have for anything going on. We're in a time when people are calling things evil that are good and calling good evil. We've reached a state of delusion when you can look right at a man and you're told to call him a woman. And lastly, once you reach this level of delusion, you venerate and lift up your sin and the godliness above God. Idolatry doesn't just happen. It's a process. And with a deluded mind, you call evil good, you call good evil, and you have entered idolatry. I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 again, where Paul says, flee idolatry. But I want to read, I want to start in chapter or, uh Verse 1, and I want you to pay attention to this. Paul is speaking to the church. We're going to end on this tonight. Paul says, moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. So he says, Christ was in the Old Testament with the Israelites. They ate of Christ and they drank of him. But with most of them, God was not pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that should not that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted 
And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. 23,000. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor complain as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Isn't that interesting? Complaining. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. So these things are written down for us right now as an example. He says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let him who thinks he stands, that's you and me, take heed. He says, wake up, be watchful, be sober, because your enemy roams around seeking whom he may devour, because these things are creeping at our door, because there's been a spirit of delusion let loose in America, and if you're not careful, you're going to get caught up in it. No temptation has overcome you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what is able. But with the temptation will make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And I'm asking the spirit of God to search our hearts and minds tonight. To remove everything that has the opportunity of becoming an idol in our life. And if you are in any kind of disobedience to the Lord, repent with a pure heart. For God is faithful and just to forgive. Do not let pride keep you from reconciliation. Do not believe the lie and do not give place to the devil. For we are not appointed to his wrath. Therefore be sober and watchful. Angie, will you play? Think on these things tonight. Ask the Lord to search your heart and mind. If there's anything in you that God needs to remove, allow him to do that. Ask him. This is always, this is one of my daily prayers. Lord, if there's anything in me you don't want in me, God, remove it. If there's anything in my heart that I'm placing above you, if there's anything that I desire more than you, if there's anything that's going to be a snare to my soul or my family, God, get rid of it. I don't want anything to do with it. God is faithful. We're not appointed to the wrath of God. Stay alert. I want to give you an opportunity tonight that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as we have talked about this, the Bible says the wrath of God abides on you. You are appointed to the wrath of God and the only way to escape it is through the blood of Christ. It's the only way. Not everybody goes to heaven, folks. I know that you've been lied to and I'm sorry. We only escape the wrath of God through the blood of Christ. It is only as we repent of our sins and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior 
and allow him to cleanse us and to forgive us and to wash over us. If you need to make him your Lord tonight, just do that. Say a prayer, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need you, Lord. I was an offense to you. God, thank you for sending your son to forgive me my sins. And he will cleanse you. He will forgive you. He will set your feet upon a rock. And you will be a new creation in Jesus Christ. If you've been far from him, just come back. It's not too late. If the Holy Spirit has spoken anything to you, if there's anything in you that God needs to remove, let him do it tonight. Don't leave here the same. Don't leave here full of bitterness or hate. Get rid of it. Don't leave here full of unforgiveness. Don't leave here with anything that is not of God. If you're a prodigal, just come home. The Bible says, come to your senses. Say, I need you, Lord. Forgive me for my wayward ways. And he will receive you back as a son. I thank you, Lord, that you are so good, God, to give us a message of warning, Father. That you watch over us, God. That you take care of us. Let us be watchful and sober. Cleanse our hearts, cleanse our minds. In us tonight, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We give you praise, we give you glory, we give you all honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget that Sunday service is an outdoor service. We're having one service at nine o'clock outdoors. Okay, what? I said nine. Nine o'clock, one serve. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.